0: so hard sometimes that we forget to see, and I feel like these invitations into practices and rituals that again remind us, um, cause us to remember how interconnected we are with the natural world and what a teacher it can be.
1: Hi, I'm Lacey Clark-Elman of a asacredjourney.net. I'm a spiritual director, facilitator, and guide, and you're listening to Pilgrim Podcast, a show exploring spirituality and intention in travels and daily life and what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and abroad. This episode is brought to you by my upcoming Creation Pilgrimage. Join me in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, May 19th through 25th, 2018, as we draw close to the creation narrative and spend a week immersed in the natural world using creation as our text and the creative impulse as our guide. Each registration comes with Access to Journey Guide, a multimedia pilgrimage resource to help guide you on your journey and one of my signature offerings. And an extra bonus, when you register by November 30th, 2017, you'll also get to participate in my new Pilgrim Principles online course for free in the new year, an opportunity you won't want to miss. There are multiple pricing options to fit your budget, but if you're interested in joining us, I suggest registering as soon as you can so you can claim your spot, these bonuses, and save $200 before prices increase on January 6, 2018. Learn more at asacredjourney.net slash journeys. Today I'm talking with eco-theologian and pilgrimage guide Mary DeYoung about journeying with nature and her practice of rewilding. Let's begin the journey. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's wonderful to be with you and your listeners this morning, Lacey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. Um, We've talked about it a bit before in some some other interviews and things like that we've done, but us in pilgrimage have an interesting history. I um, first met you and didn't know I was meeting you. (laughs) It's About seven years ago, whenever I came to Seattle to go to the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, which we've both graduated from at different times, Mm -hmm. and uh, we were getting furniture for our house and came to a yard sale that turned out to be at your house.
0: Right. Um, But,
1: you know, it just seemed like any other yard sale, you'd go and buy something from someone. But then maybe was it probably three years later um, after having graduated and I started was just starting out doing my work here with A Sacred Journey. Um, we connected over social media. And I even had you write some stuff for the website, which I'll be sure to link to in the show notes here. And I, I've, I had this inkling that I've, I've <laughs> met you before. And not only that, I've been to your house. Like, I don't know what that intuitive sense was. Right, because they ha- own some of your stuff. <laughs> yes,
0: these seemingly random threads. Yes. And I think that particular yard sale was our Making Room for Baby yard sale. Oh, yeah. We were having our Anna. And mm-hmm. so it was, yes, it would have been like she was born in September. And yeah. I think we had that sale in August.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, well, and what, what I love, and, and I know you speak the language of pilgrimage so well, too, is that yeah I didn't know that the... um that pilgrimage would be part of my path, part of my calling
0: yeah. um
1: vocationally. And so I, you know, I maybe I feel like almost I just wasn't ready for that our paths to cross in that in that way at that time. But after that, soon after discovered pilgrimage and began to learn the language and that word synchronicity
0: yes. feels so
1: perfect that um kind of unexpected but much needed encounter right when you need it most. Um, and so, the, yeah, I feel like our, our relationship is no doubt a synchronistic one for sure. Mm. I love to look back and smile on it.
0: I, I, I smile. I smile with you. Yeah, and I think about it even as a bit of a harbinger of sorts. Yeah. You know, oft- oh, yeah. Often we, we aren't ready to see the synchronicity, um, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it
0: might just be uh, almost an echo from the future. Yeah, that's kind of reverberating backwards and in uh, that sense it's um yeah. And I love yeah. that. And I feel like that's so much uh-huh. even about what we're going to be talking about today yeah. is because it becomes these cycles and these mm-hmm. circles and these loops, these and feedback really, loops.
1: Yeah, <laughs> emphasizes that pilgrimage is happening in our lives journeys drawing us to the sacred are happening in our lives whether we notice them or not and so the invitation of the pilgrim is to begin to notice to begin yes. to be aware we're we're already we're already fully <laughs> diving in here we are <laughs> i love it i'm so well, grateful for this relationship yeah so that we can me talk too like this. well why don't you tell us a bit about you since some others might not not know you as as well as i
0: Sure, um, yeah, some some context. I I'm actually from the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in a little town um in the North Cascades, or at least in the foothills of it, uh, Snohomish, Washington, which is kind of the gateway to the mountains. And mm. that place um has deeply rooted me here. My my family on my mother's side actually goes back generations. Um along the highway Two corridor, there's a little town called index Washington, which my great, great grandparents, um, pioneered and named wow. the surrounding mountains and mm-hmm. the home in which I grew up looks upon those mountains. So mm. again, thinking about kind of those, those circles or those loops that speak to us from the past and even maybe a bit from the future,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, has, has always been around me. And so, so I say that, um, as a way of, I guess, placing myself here. And then, um, my spiritual kind of journey had me, um, every other Sunday in a very evangelical conservative church. Hmm. And then on the other Sundays out in the mountains with my dad. So, um, at that time in our life, my dad was an atheist and, um, searching he actually was an amateur astronomer and looked deeper wow. to the stars and so um nights were often spent up late with telescopes looking upwards and then yeah every other Sunday going outwards out to kind of these hinterlands and um so I I grew up with this this dual relationship but I think what was really unfortunate and I began to see this as an adult they weren't they weren't talking. So Hmm. my, my church life would have told me that the natural world was um, still base, was, was fallen, was in need of redemption and um, that humans were not only separate from it, we were um, placed to Lord over it and subdue it. Hmm. And then I'd go out into these amazing wilderness areas. In fact, I remember naming the mountains as my many, many steepled sanctuary and Hmm. just having such a deep deeply spiritual sense about these wild places it just didn't it didn't connect um these messages that i'd get either explicitly or implicitly from the church and um so yeah so growing up knowing that the land was talking to me about god and even my ancestors um was deeply foundational yeah. and th- another kind of side note about kind of my my formative years i actually lived in sweden for oh, a year. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For so my father's line comes from there. In fact, my, my farfar, which is my, my father's father, mm. was born and raised in um, southern Sweden in Smoland. Yeah. And while there, I trained for the Stockholm Marathon.
1: Mm. And this
0: became a really interesting way of running myself beyond just an acquaintanceship with land, mm. um, but really becoming deeply familiar with these landscapes from which my father was from, and, I mean, running in forests. And Yeah, I, well,
1: they become your it, companions, I know, from they, my own training in the past, when you're spending oh, hours do. pounding pavement and trails. And your awareness mm. grows. Mm-hmm. I feel like
0: you know your way in mm-hmm. a different embodied way um when your foot i mean this is pilgrimage once Mm -hmm. again when your foot is when your foot is making the path yeah uh, versus other modes of transportation um but yeah so all that all that to say is these early foundational experiences that were embedding me in landscapes that felt really discongruent with these teachings from the church and um It really wasn't until I think it was in my mid undergrad years when I became introduced to Celtic Christianity Mm -hmm. and that changed everything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There was the union that you always were in. Yes.
0: Right. Finding this tradition, this ancient stream that came from the Judeo-Christian tradition. um, And yet it celebrated the imminence of the divine and the sacramentality of the natural world and, um, began to be an invitation to see beyond just our tradition, but to look to most indigenous traditions, which hold that sacred view of the natural world. Mm-hmm. So that was over 20 years ago. So I've been studying and practicing Celtic spirituality ever since. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's a bit of like the history, I yeah. suppose. Well, and
1: it, that seems to, again, even like we we talked about our own meeting that Celtic spirituality was both you know, established long before you, and yet was waiting for you, written for you mm. in in a in a sense, just mm-hmm. like this uh, this return in your work. I know to to the land, which started long ago right. with uh, ancestors who were settlers.
0: Right, right, yeah, and it just becomes very, very interesting how things echo mm. back and echo through. Um, and I think absolutely that the land as a, as a revealer of the divine, Mm. as sacred scripture, even, um, has so much to teach us. Um, and the pilgrim, the pilgrim's path, the pilgrim's ear invites that deep kind of listening. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. What, what would Um, you, how would you define, describe the pilgrim's ear?
0: Well, I think that it's, it's that paying Mm. attention and it's, um, that seems so easy and so trite, but practically I feel what that ends up looking like in our day-to-day lives is literally unplugging mm-hmm. and pulling pulling earbuds
1: <laughs> out <laughs> of <laughs> the ears
0: so that you can um attune yeah. or tune tune in to to your place. Um that you learn to listen to what exists and in doing that, you learn to hear what's missing. And I think that, um, you delight in what's there and then you become called to action by what's not there. And I think that the pilgrim's path ultimately should activate us. And I think that's part of bringing that back to the community. Um, when we realize things that are missing, that should, be a call to arms. Mm. And so with my work as an eco theologian, um, I'm very much interested in aspects of our ecology that mm-hmm. are gone or that are missing. And how do we, what do we do to help bring those back as a sacred yeah. call of activism?
1: Yeah. Well, tell us a yeah. bit more about your work with way markers. I know, it's been around for quite some time and has always involved pilgrimage in some way and, and that work with, with nature. And yet now that you've graduated, I know it's kind of gotten a, a big refresh with some new offerings. It so has, tell me, well, one, tell me about the name Waymarkers. What is, what is that and how does that describe the work you do? And then I'd love for you to share more about, about what you're offering these days. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Waymarkers. it, kind of came from a
0: hodgepodge reading of Jeremiah 31:21. I love hodgepodge readings of scripture. <laughs> I, do, I don't know if any of our theology faculty would appreciate me saying that, but my hermeneutic, how about that? There my we hermeneutic go, of sure. Jeremiah 31:21 uh would had yeah one translation in particular had said set up waymarks Make for thyself signposts. And this is so, of course, Israel can know how to return home and to no longer be in exile. And I think what had really struck me about that verse and how it became an image that has defined my work with way markers for the last, I mean, we're coming on eight years now, is that the Hebrew for way marks actually means stones. Stones or he- heaps of organic material, uh, trees, and specifically palm trees. And so in that, I'm seeing elements of the natural world were used to remember the road back home. Hmm. And so I've taken, I mean, I've played with that concept and I've expanded it, seeing the whole of creation as a waymark hmm. or a way marker mm-hmm. that not only reminds us of our home, um, but causes us to remember to remember mm. that our, our home is here on this planet. And that definitely kind of gets into my ecotheological hermeneutic that um, we've got to remember that we belong here and that we're not just passing through.
1: Yeah. Which is, yeah, very different from the more conservative evangelical, you know, twice a month upbringing you had which was always, mm-hmm. I imagine, focused mm-hmm. on we're yeah. passing through. Um, our hearts should long for yes. heaven. This is part of... Right. Yes. I, don't, I mean, no one ever said that this was part of a curse, but there was this kind of feeling that life on earth was not as it should be, and so we needed to escape it. Right. And
0: and I think bringing alongside of that message, um, and I would even say in some respects maybe misapplying the... The kind of the mythic narrative of the Israelites always being in exile and always trying to find mm-hmm. home that implicitly, sometimes explicitly being told that we are also in exile, just moving through this place, ultimately finding our home in heaven. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that I mean, it becomes very problematic for how we, how we live well on this planet if um, we don't see it as our primary homescape. So, so then, so that back to way markers, um, I really feel like it's an invitation when we look to the natural world as signposts, as waymarks that show us ultimately, um, a return home. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm really, really trying to emphasize that our return and our belonging is here.
1: Mm.
0: And mm-hmm. so then my, my work through way markers, essentially is, is kind of a, a guide of sorts for others to remember, to remember this wisdom that the, that is that the sacred is here within the wild. And, um, so I do that. I do this through my writings, am um, through my own retreats and pilgrimages and kind of teaching and speaking opportunities.
1: Well, one word that really piqued my interest as I saw you just graduated this past June, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then so I knew you were doing some work on your website, ready to kind of finally dig in after spending a few years uh, studying. And I kept see you, seeing you post um, beautiful images of nature. I know many around, around your house in that forest there. Uh, and, the, and the term rewilding, which um, felt so enchanting to me, mm. both a new term and that it's not – it's not one i hear often and yet it felt yeah my my heart was saying yes yes and so i'd love to know first i saw you talking about rewilding mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. came the rewilding wheel as i was following you and so tell me tell me yes. about both
0: yes I love this. And um, I think, well, there are, first of all, there's so many different definitions about this process of rewilding. And um, I think that all the definitions ultimately do agree that it is a process. Um, But to first maybe talk about even wild or wilding um, it's, it indicates autonomy and agency and kind of this, a unique expression of Of life, and so I would a little tangential, but very much a part of this i've been a, working as a naturalist for the last ten years, and am a trained forest steward through Seattle's Green Seattle partnership, which is this interagency um work that empowers citizens to steward well kind of the urban the urban wild so a lot of this work comes from a real ecological um kind of field practice and Specifically, well, even though it's going to take us half the world away, Northern Europe is a great example of rewilding practices where they have big campaigns that are advocating that moors and managed forests are being invited and allowed to have autonomy. And what this ends up looking like is these extraordinary restoration practices that bring native habitats Mm. back into a thriving state, Okay, yeah. so that's kind of the ecological lens for this term, and um, what and that's what I've been practicing is these rewilding forest restoration best practices in our in our little our little woods, mm-hmm. g c green space, which, which is, is really like the land. your neighbor.
1: Literally, <laughs> is there it even is, a house it's, between it's, the two of you?
0: No, it's my it's my backyard. It's my um, it's my sacred soil, and it's been the land that has really been speaking to me for the last 15 years. Um, I mean, that's another story in and of itself, but it absolutely has led, it's what led me to school to really kind of get a formed uh, study in theology around the environment and kind of sacred ecology. So, um, yeah, so I start playing with um, these concepts of our soul being managed, Mm ground and kind of like almost like a managed forest scape, and what are the things that we can do to um, rewild ourselves to the degree that we are no longer so domesticated and managed because I think in that is the key to how humans become the respectful co-inhabitants of this place. So, which I think is where we are at in the conversation of kind of faith and spirituality and the church today is we're we're at a threshold where our old ways well the western colonizing ways of being
1: mm-hmm,
0: <laughs> um are are breaking down, and so we have to cross and a lot of the, so Mm -hmm. feedback loop future calling back to the past ancient calling forward to the future. We are having to now return to some ancient ways of being. Um, And in that way, I feel like it's a remembering. Yeah. Um, I did. I did want to share. There's a, do you know, Gary Snyder, the work of he's a, he's a poet um, writer actually from our area. And he does write a lot about wildness. Mm. And can I read a little bit of his words? Yes, Mm -hmm. may I? So he says this, this is Gary Snyder. We can appreciate the elegance of the forces that shape life and the world, that have shaped every line of our bodies, teeth and nails, nipples and eyebrows. We also see that we must try to live without causing unnecessary harm not just to fellow humans, but to all beings. We must try not to be stingy or to exploit others. There will be enough pain in the world as it is. Such are the lessons of the wild. Wildness is not just the preservation of the world. It is the world. So, and those, so those are Gary Snyder's Mm. words. And So in that, I see this invitation to coming into relationship, into a process of relationship with our kind of our wild side um, and ultimately, I think, to become this, these respectful Mm co-inhabitors of our place.
1: Well, and as you were talking before you shared the poem, I just was having this realization and it might be. It might be a spurious correlation. I I think it might not be though. As you, especially as you talk about these echoes back, thinking of obviously um, this past year with so many natural disasters and um, record heat, record you know mm-hmm. colds at the same. I know Seattle has like we've had snow already, which is right, already right. is not even a normal thing. Like it's not normal for us to have snow very much, but you know early. Earlier in the month, there was snow, and um, so I'm so I'm wondering um, about this kind of heightening when it comes to the environment and this pull to a, awareness to go back and tend. And it seems like in the spiritual world, particularly in the church, this is happening. To you, um, things have reached a breaking point in some ways that people are being in forced slash invited to begin to look back and tend and find renewal in, in deeper and more sustainable ways. And what was, there was another area. I can't remember what I was thinking of right now. Those were the first two. And then another Mm -hmm. one came to mind, but I'm curious if even you see a connection there, these, these invitations to, to return. Oh, the other was just even like mindfulness, Mm -hmm. right? Particularly when we, Think of all of these probably are uh, akin to that westernized style of colonization, you know, whether it's taking over the land or, um, you know, a a spirituality based on the enlightenment or something like that. And then um, just this good uh, Protestant work ethic type of thing, right, that we're becoming overworked. And so bringing that even the movement of mindfulness and of returning to. Making food slowly, um, growing mm-hmm. food, which I, there's the connection to nature again, but, but that slow movement.
0: Yeah, there's. I mean, there's absolutely um, a connection, and it is. It's beginning to really hum within the church again. I was just speaking at a conference this last weekend. Um, Christ in Cascadia put on Seattle's Eco Faith mm. Conference, and I had some low grade anxiety be about the message that I was bringing because I was I did I I uh was charging the church with kind of their complicit complicit uhness with how creation mm. is is falling mm-hmm. that um it's not just a, a happen chance and it's just part of the fall but there's the human hand is absolutely a part of this and I was so heartened to hear that theme of kind of confession mm-hmm. resonate through most of the speakers mm-hmm. and and the understanding that there's um two sides to the coin of dominance mm-hmm. it's um always dominating the earth body and then dominating the other body mm-hmm. and the other most often being the poor mm-hmm. and the female mm-hmm. form so um i think all of these things that are happening both with uh you know, wildfires, um, droughts, mm-hmm. uh, high temps, as well as, um, the consciousness raising process that can feel like such chaos around, um, the black lives matter movement or any sort of, uh, the social mm-hmm. binaries that are breaking down. They're all interrelated because ultimately, um, it is, it is the result of a way of, living on this planet, the Western way, which has dominated the planet that is separate from over and above mm-hmm. and um, objectifying, subduing, and yeah. dominating the other. Well,
1: and it reminds me of the, the confession in, in the Episcopal Church, two lines that really stand out to me. It's, you know, you're confessing for what we have done. So you can think of that to the earth or these other mm-hmm. topics. And then you also say, and what we have left undone. So, it's not only mm-hmm. what we've done to the Earth, but how we're not speaking, how we're not acting proactively now in some you know the same thing in in these other areas, right. That undone is such an invitation mm-hmm.
0: um, to to make amends um for maybe amends that have not been made and and to then live forward in the ways that will hopefully provide for a flourishing future for. All, um, and that's certainly beyond humanity. I'm very much speaking about the more than human world mm-hmm. as well.
1: Yeah, and I feel like in some ways it's even more provocative, um, pro- provoking inquiry and action. Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't think we can ever rightfully act until that confession is mm-hmm. made. And, mm-hmm. and so to that end, I, I really want to say this because I think, well, words words have such power and have such history and Part of what I acknowledge within the work of even this, th- this rewilding is how the history of the word and concept of, of wild mm. has been one that has had destructive meanings in the past and has been wielded as a blunt instrument mm-hmm. um, against other, those people and places that power has wanted to control
1: to tame yeah mhm
0: so i i want i i want to acknowledge that this word has those associations mm. and 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 acknowledge with deep care and concern that um by now trying to do something good with the word that that's not in a way almost recolonizing it mm-hmm. um, you know there were hundreds and hundreds of years where when one was claimed or when one was named as wild, that allowed uh, hegemony to control them. Mm. And so I I know that within this, and I hope, I think whenever you're playing at the edge of anything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) when you're pushing at these boundaries, you're um, bringing a past with that informs what you're pushing against. Mm. And those have to be in conversation. Mm -hmm. So I I just, I want to acknowledge that. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: So. Uh, but that probably then goes into the rewilding wheel mm, mm-hmm. a little bit because with the rewilding wheel, um, well, let me tell you a little bit about history because okay. I love how this came out because <laughs> I think you're going to really appreciate this. Mm-hmm. This came out of my graduate class on spirituality. Mm. We were asked to develop a rule for life, which I think... <laughs> some of your work, um, came out of that same assignment possibly. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, the the invitation of the assignment being to explore patterns of routine, regular and repeated, um, practices through which one will discover spiritual transformation. And I, I resisted this assignment. Hmm. I really did. I think, um, I haven't said this, but I I actually do categorize where I am right now in life as being in a forest phase Mm -hmm. where, um, I am deeply, deeply rooting into, um, my, my homescape in a very literal sense, as well as, um, deeply rooting into the story of my ancestors Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, both family stories and lore, as well as the myth, myth, the myths that associate with, um, my different lines. And I also am looking to the natural world for kind of sacred revelation as mm-hmm. part of this kind of forest phase. Which
1: I just want to say, as I'm adding that to my toolkit, or, you know, just my awareness of, of the naming of a forest phase. So often we might talk about desert spirituality or something mm. like that. And this, I love, I love exactly what you just said. So. Yes. It's
0: it's so powerful because it also invites, it's not only rootedness, Mm -hmm. but it's deep, it's deep inner connection. Um, we are, uh, kind of the forest, um, ecology world is, is really gaining a lot of consciousness around, um, the relationship of trees. There's been a recent, uh, New York bestseller, The Secret Life of Trees, which is Mm. a fantastic kind of lay, uh, lay entry into, um, kind of the ecology, the ecological landscape of a forest and what's happening with their root systems. They are so interconnected. Wow. So you may have this, um, these two trees that appear separate, but their roots go so deep and are so commingled that they cross nourish and cross communicate. And so when I say, even I am in a forest phase, I see that in my, I, this deep desire of, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: cross nourishment with, with community and interconnection. And, um, it's moving really away from this kind of an ego centered approach to life to what I would say it would be an eco centric mm-hmm. approach to mm-hmm. life where it's just, we're all just
1: together. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and <laughs> I love that this, out, this you know. naming of a forest phase or, you know, even a desert phase and, and not only. You know that landscape, but the the specificity of the, the what you're learning of trees, and uh, it's just another sign that nature can be our spiritual teacher, and that we yes. all grasp for for those metaphors even without realizing the significance.
0: Yes, which is why then this traditional idea of developing a rule of life was I was kicking against it. So I began to intentionally play with the. Illiter- the alliterative assonance of rune mm, mm-hmm. and and rule, huh. Lean, leaning into the secondary definition of rune as a mark of mysterious or magical significance mm. and used as um, kind of a divinatory symbols within the natural world. Mm.
1: So I, I like took for, this assignment. For, <laughs> I, I feel like all of your teachers probably when you're going through school were like, of, of course, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Just the depth oh, that you know, know. and how with broad that, that, your research and curiosities are.
0: Oh, I and mean, so probably
1: some eye rolls as well. But <laughs> well, eye rolling with some deep, deep love and admiration. Yeah, oh well, I hope so. Yeah, if
0: yeah, if Pat's listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> he'll he'll understand the teacher of this class, right? Where
1: you had the teacher assignment. of this class. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm. So I developed what I would call my rune for life. Mm. And this is what this so I am getting to the the question of the rewilding wheel. Um, And the rune of life being that the revelatory elements within the sacred natural world can be the things that
1: Mm.
0: provide these regular repeated practices. Because the natural is, the natural world is all about yeah. that, right? So you so I saw the invitation to seasonal r- rhythms that occur in nature. You know, you have the the lunar phases and tidal pulls, and the growing things, um, dormancies and fits of growth. Mm-hmm. All of these are kind of on a micro and m- macro scale, mm-hmm. and so these were the ecological frameworks that I began to pursue um, to develop and care for, um, this embodied interconnected spirituality that looks kind of for the mysterious Mm -hmm. and magical Mm -hmm. presence of, of God and all of creation. Um, so, so the rune of life was this idea of, um, developing myself. Um, but in so much as I'm developing an integral mutuality with the other than human world or the more than human world. So, and this is going, this is going beyond I don't know going to Yellowstone
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know and seeing the bison uh, for a vacation this is a profound sense of being with nature and that in kind of in this interrelatedness in this withness, we are breaking into the cycle of knowing spirit and knowing one's, mm-hmm. oneself so um so then so then I began to Play with um, you know how what what how do I engage these cycles? How do I engage these rhythms? Um, the lunar calendar certainly is circl- cyclical, mm-hmm. you know, and, and circl- circular as is the seasonal calendar. And um, so my my understanding of the Celtic um, year is is circular time. And so based on that, primarily, and that became an inroad into researching and looking at other indigenous understandings of like the medicine wheel and time as wheel, um, pretty much universally, all of which correspond cardinal directions and
1: elements. Mm-hmm. Right. So And these I mean you're looking to the wisdom of people who were very much of the earth, you know, thousands of years of ago. That was their teacher. What else would there be? Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Which is then you know, then going into Celtic Christian history, I mean that's where it becomes such a profound um example of a culture who were able to embrace the Christ mm-hmm. and yet maintain their understanding of how deeply imminent yeah. um the Christ is mm-hmm. and I you mean know, in so many beautiful ways it's um yeah, it's it's the embodiment mm-hmm. of God. Yeah, it almost seems and like
1: that the um, the history of the Celtic faith, um, you know, before Christianity is, is as their Old Testament, so to speak. And Christ mm-hmm, becomes mm-hmm. the new with that, yes. just, uh, just the next step, a response yes. so deeply integrated.
0: Yeah. Again, the echoes of time.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> right. Um, so, so the rewilding wheel became this, um, or is this kind of a year long personal spiritual journey that places one in an interrelationship with the wild world, um, seeking the divine and sacred for inspiration. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately what I've been doing is playing with actually various wheels and kind of overlaying them um and in fact even inviting pilgrimage into the conversation yeah. so seeing every everything as a circular journey
1: mm-hmm. right mm-hmm.
0: as a way of growing and emerging kind of our soulful sensing selves, mm-hmm. um, but then into our geographic places. So I become curious about how when we engage the seasons and the elements and the directions and I mean then we even get into archetypal human development, mm-hmm. you know, vis-a-vis the hero's journey and pilgrimage. And then even kind of mythopoetic stories that relate to these, all these correspondences, these all create the themes of the rewilding wheel. Yeah. So um so I'll give you an example of yes, this because this is really fun because I'm actually engaging my own personal practice of this this mm, year, mm-hmm. and I and I started um, this autumn. Yeah, and, and you're
1: chronicling it. It seems on Instagram. What's your your Instagram name?
0: Way Waymarkers. markers. So yeah, if people wanted to follow yes, you can follow me
1: there. The yeah. Invitation.
0: So um, so I'll 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 try to highlight some of these key. Aspects. Well, it just kind of through my own personal mm. practice, um, which I again started in autumn, which is a season, right? Autumn is mm-hmm. a season mm-hmm. for those. You know, sometimes we forget, right? Mm-hmm. Especially as we become so interior and urban.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and the autumn equinox is September twenty first, and my birthday is very soon after. It's the twenty fourth, so I wanted to mark my my birthday um, with the kind of commencement of this mm-hmm. practice. So autumn as the season corresponds to the cardinal direction West and the element that's associated with both West and autumn is water. Mm -hmm. And, um, even kind of from a psycho-spiritual, um, kind of naming of that quadrant, this is, this is the area where the adolescent is moving into kind of full mastery of their adult gifts Mm -hmm. and talents. And, um, So those are all kind of the, the themes or the ideas that can be played with when one is engaging, um, the Mm real wild. So what I did, I, my husband and I, we have a double kayak. We, um, headed our kayak West across the Salish sea and, um, landed on Lumi Island, which is a, a Northern smaller, um, Island in the San Juan Island system. And for a long, beautiful weekend, without my four children, <laughs> which was a mm-hmm. gift um really intentionally engaged the element of water mm. and um what this westward facing direction invites um and then even for for me, so my maternal line um my that lineage um is from the high country of Scotland. So, um, that's the gun clan. And so a lot of these Celtic stories really resonate with me. And so the story of the Selkie, which is this female, um, seal who finds human form has a lot of really rich kind of these mythopoetic, um, themes that can get played with in this season as well. So, um, So in that, in that long weekend, I was engaging in some kind of rituals and and prayers and practices that would really embed me kind of in, in, in the water and seeing water as baptism, seeing water as um, the well place of healing, um, um, still, you know, processing various um, aspects of fertility and, and birth, um, And so that's just, so that's an example of this particular quadrant and what I've been engaging and, um, pursuing another really interesting practice that has come out of this, this season has been, um, doing some open water swimming,
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: which my, a little bit more of my history, I was a competitive swimmer through high school and, um, I mean, since I was a little girl, I think I began swimming at the Y at, when I was three, um, but then was a state swimmer. So fairly accomplished. And when I first put my face and um, we were swimming on Orcas Island on a lake on an island, which was really a profound um, kind of way of engaging these yeah. kind of these symbologies,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, had, I had a huge anxiety attack. Mm. I was hyperventilating. I could not see wow. even though i had goggles on and i was putting my face in the water the depth and the amount of um vegetation created such an overwhelming sense of darkness mm-hmm. that i i couldn't do it initially and it became it has become then this oh this thing that i'm practicing we go out into lake washington Joel's gotten me the buoy. So I'm um to try to overcome whatever this is about um not being able to see
1: well. So interesting whenever you Isn't it? are looking at at this, you know, the symbolism of water and the invitations of autumn and all of these things um through this archetypal lens. Oh, it's so
0: profound. Yeah. I mean, I get goosebumps mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking about it. It um It really is. It's a practice almost of, um, oh, we look so hard sometimes Mm. that we forget to see.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I feel like these invitations into practices and rituals that, again, remind us, um, cause us to remember how interconnected we are with the natural world and what a teacher it can be what a sacred teacher. And I I think I want to sit on that for a minute. This isn't looking for like an alternative source. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, this is deep, um, ancient Judeo-Christian wisdom that would say that God is imminent, that God, um, God is not the tree, but God is absolutely within Mm -hmm. the tree and God is not the sea, but God is in the Mm -hmm. sea. And to accept this world as such a gift of revelation and, and as, as teacher. So, so for me, yeah, working with water as teacher for this autumn season has been very profound. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I anticipate that I will continue learning very deep things about myself Mm -hmm. and, um, and God in the natural world as I, as I go around the wheel. Yeah. And w- one thing that I um, really hope that this does as well for myself and for others is invites activism as well. Mm. So, um, you know, I think we'd already kind of talked a little bit about, you know, we go to the natural world for delight, but it needs to also create in the, as a discipline. So we can delight in the autumn and the water and the sunsets and, um, I don't know, the surf pounding, but there's something about discipline, uh, the discipline of following these rhythms that should also um, call forth activism. Yeah. So, so I've also been really immersing myself kind of more in watershed theology and the work of Ched Myers. Um, I would encourage anyone who's interested in what that looks like to look into his work. Um, and then in that, learning more about our our watersheds and our water systems and how can we advocate for water rights. And, um, I think standing up beside our, our indigenous brothers and sisters around water rights. So it it begins to really invite some really cool, um, yeah. Inroads and insights. Well, this seems like a,
1: a curriculum almost for, for life (laughs) and for spiritual formation. Hmm.
0: I, I think so. (laughs) I, I hope so. I, um, I'm doing rewilding retreats up uh, on Whidbey Island for those who are local, which will be day retreats that explore this wheel in full. And then each, each seasonal, so I'm doing them quarterly. Um, so then each of these day retreats will specifically look deeper into one of the quadrants. And
1: I'm really excited yeah. about it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I hope <laughs> yeah. to be able to join yeah. you sometime.
0: Oh, I love that. I would love that.
1: If you were going on pilgrimage, where would you want to go next? And as a side to that, I know you are going on pilgrimage to somewhere next because you're leading, leading one next summer.
0: Yes. Um so you can come with me uh-huh. on <laughs> on pilgrimage. Um, I'll be taking a group of women to Iona, Scotland in July of 2018. So there's room to join me on that. Um, but kind of I guess beyond Beyond this, um, I mean, at least we've, I think I've said this to you before, I I've, I've would love to do the Camino in Spain. And um, I was in Virginia in early October at a conference at William & Mary College that um, was about pilgrimage. And most of the presentations that were there were all about the Camino. and. Huh. <laughs> I, I was coming from the perspective of more Celtic sites and, Mm -hmm. um, speaking kind of more from a a Celtic perspective of pilgrimage, which, um, was very different than everyone else's. But I felt like that was certainly like the call, the call is on me. So I don't know how that happens. A lot of people there have done it with families, with big families. So I'm starting to whisper to my family that maybe we, we can do that. Someday.
1: I would love to see that uh, documented.
0: It could, be a, it could be a great documentary uh-huh. film, I'm sure. And all the ways you would engage uh,
1: nature along along the way, too. Right. Yeah. I, it's almost, I think of walking the Camino as as a Celt. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What that would mean.
0: Yes. Oh, because there's, I mean,
1: the Celtic line goes deep, deep mm-hmm. into ancient Spain. Mm-hmm. Especially northern Spain, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Gaelic, right? We're thinking, you know, the language, but it's Galicia in northern Spain. That's the region. Yes. Well, yes. Great connection. Kyle, my husband, did the community. (laughs) (laughs) So he would have just another sign, Mary. It is time. Yes. (laughs) Indeed. But
0: I also want to add this because part of the rewilding wheel is. I am naming places yeah. that I want to go that would associate with the wheels. So, uh, Lumi Island v- and very, very much was like a pilgrimage to get there. Um, and that was this westward facing land. And so, even as I'm now thinking about the winter solstice is soon approaching, and um, so where where can I go as mm. like a pilgrimage oh, I journey? Love that as I go north or explore Mm -hmm. more the hinterlands and mountainous regions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and you continue around the wheel and in the, in the spring you would go East.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and I know that's air, right? So that could play even an element Mm -hmm. in that too.
0: So that's where it kind of gets exciting. So I have kind of my, my, my more micro practice that literally is embedding more in my bio region, Uh literally here, but I kind of have more, Grand ideas of I would love to go north to the northern climes of Sweden
1: Ooh, in the winter. Yeah.
0: So, you know, kind of ju- almost uh, bringing my, my rewilding wheel out and out to yeah. be not such a micro ecosystem, um, but kind of a bigger one. So, yeah, that's a long answer to your question. About well, where.
1: <laughs> it sounds like just the beginning for sure. Mm-hmm. What journey, and again, you spoke with this a bit in the rewilding wheel. Which I guess really can be a tool for both of these things, as you're saying, an invitation to a physical pilgrimage as we engage the land and an invitation to um, an interior journey as well. So Mm -hmm. what journey are you on right now in your daily life, um, this autumnal one and anything else?
0: Yeah. Well, yes, definitely doing um, the rewilding Mm -hmm. wheel personally and i think what what that is revealing for me is um how how deeply needed um some sort of worship setting outside is and how it's not it's very hard to come across so even within um you know my faith so i've been um a member of madrona grace presbyterian church here in seattle for years and years i'm i'm this this personal journey that I'm on is revealing that I also need to find ways of having community and a worship that acknowledges, um, well, I would say that would rewild my worship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. And so I've been um, making a lot of great connections kind of in the the forest church community, which comes out of Britain. So I'm I'm beginning to feel like I'm on a journey to seeing what it would look like to um possibly co-create something of a forest church yeah. here in Seattle.
1: Ooh. So
0: um we'll see. Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna go around my wheel fully. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see if next autumn maybe comes something for that.
1: Yeah. Hmm. What are some practices or practical tools to help listeners begin to engage nature in this practice of rewilding in the Observing the rewilding wheel. I think one of there, it can be
0: so simple. So while all of this may sound really maybe heady and theoretical, I want to I think remind all of us how simple it can be done, and it really is um, hmm. by going outside in your own in a, your own backyard. Maybe you have a favorite park or a favorite open space or green space. Maybe you live near the sea. Maybe you near, live near a lake but i think it's going outside and beginning to hmm. be quiet and and listen and that may feel awkward i often will encourage people to start out with just 5 minutes of of quiet listening um it's often referred to maybe as finding mm-hmm. a sit spot so go and a spot that you would return to daily or you know, maybe bi-weekly or weekly, um, where you sit in that place for five minutes and just Mm. begin to listen. And it's profound what you begin to hear. You will begin to hear the birds. You'll begin to discern different bird call. You'll begin to discern the sound of the wind in the trees.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Get to know your, your homescape, um, your local land, and I assure you that it will it will begin to speak and it will give you um, profound messages of delight and again, of, of discipline, of that call to action.
1: Yeah: Well, can you offer us a benediction that um, encompasses all that we've explored here, and I'm quite certain it will tap into that listening to nature. As well, that mm. imitation of the rewilding wheel.
0: I'd be honored to. We'll receive this blessing. And this this these words come from John Philip Newell, who is um, mm. my own Celtic saint. Loves words. Hear these words. May the deep blessings of earth be with us. May the fathomless soundings of seas surge in our soul. May boundless stretches of the universe echo in our depths to open us to wonder, to strengthen us for love, to humble us with gratitude, that we may find ourselves in one another, that we may lose ourselves in gladness, that we may give ourselves to peace. Mm. Amen.
1: Thanks for joining with us today. Find episode notes and sign up to receive updates at asacredjourney.net slash podcast and subscribe to Pilgrim Podcast through Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. If you like this episode, I'd be grateful if you'd leave an iTunes review. It only takes a few minutes and will help other seekers just like you join us on this journey. Find out how to leave an iTunes review at asacredjourney.net slash podcast. I'll see you in two weeks for a conversation with Jen Giles Kemper of Sacred Ordinary Days. Until then, blessings on the journey.